Hey everyone, happy to have you here for another episode of Legacy Matters. Today, as usual, we will talk about whatever comes up with a slight leaning toward discussions of preserving your legacy, preparing for things to come, and sharing stories we find amusing. All right, you guys. Oh, there's some good noise in the background. Yeah. I like it. What does that mean? Are well, we live? Uh, today we are recording live. Yeah, yeah this is fun. Yeah, Tattersall. Tattersall, Tattersall Distillery in here Northeast. in Minneapolis. Yes, yep. right Welcome down the to road. Legacy Matters. Legacy Matters podcast. Sarah. Thanks for tuning in. Jim. Hello, <laughs> Sam. Sam. Yep. That's, Three that's of us me. again. All right. Okay, uh, guys. It's a couple days before Christmas, and we're in the holiday cheer. So we're here at Tattersall. Yeah. What, doing what, live. But, pod- what better way to celebrate? Yeah. Get that's ready the way I for like the to holidays. Celebrate. Yeah, local <laughs> distilleries. <laughs> Come on, right? Yes. I like so it. we we were here. I don't know a month or so ago, and we introduced ourselves to our guest. Yep. Yeah. And uh, said we'd love to come by and learn a little bit more and take a tour. So here we are. So our guest today. I don't. We do we have anything else we want to say? Thanks That's for listening. It. Thanks the for listening. The weather looks great. Fantastic. It's actually warm. kind of warm today. Jim and I were warm it's during another our target one, run. Yeah. Yeah. Another one of those days where it's like. 25 and, and everyone's like oh like my god it's freaking hot out there hat. yeah sarah <laughs> needed the window down as we were driving around. i saw someone in a short sleeve shirt like yeah. you know walking around like this is cool i can handle this oh yeah i'm in yeah okay Minnesota. all right so we've got dan oski and uh well he's sitting right across the table from me yeah. hi dan sarah. hello hi, hi. Thanks for having me thanks yeah for coming thanks out. for having us at thanks your, for the uh, distillery yeah not a yeah. problem okay yeah so what are we what are we gonna start with Dan. All right. Well, anyways, here's how we start, because we just had this tour of the entire place. Thanks for taking us on that, Dan. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's sort of, I, I, my first question is, well, how did this even happen? Like, how did you get into this? Mm. Um, because it's impressive. I mean, never here we are. That. The square footage, <laughs> what, what are we looking at square foot? It, it, it's 40,000 square feet now. We start okay. with nine. Okay. Um, and I feel like there's a, a long way in and there's a short way in for me to tell the whole story. But um, it really, my background is in hospitality. It's basically all I've ever done with my life. So I, I was in kitchens when I was in high school and then in college, front of the house, eventually bartending uh, to cut out, kind of the get, you know, cut to the chase. Right around 2000, April of 2014, John, my business partner, current business partner here. Um, What's his last name? John Kreidler. Kreidler. So John and I grew up together. I've known him since second grade. He was the new kid in school. Mm-hmm. And, um, and was it here? Yeah, in, in um, the northern suburbs. So we went to eventually Mountsview High School. Grew up in uh, Shoreview, Arden Hills area. Okay. Um, but John hit me up in 2014. And um, basically, we, we had a beer. And... I was in the middle of opening a restaurant at that time called Ola Repo with uh, my dear friends Burke and Christina who own it. Yep. And I was their bar manager. And so, anyways, John and I had a beer while we were opening it, and um, he kind of pitched the idea. Said, "Are you in?" And I was like, "Yeah, screw it, let's 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 do it." And um, and are you in? Meaning like <laughs> like like do you want to have yeah. a forty thousand square well, foot? Well, uh, when, uh, when he when he. <laughs> And I sat down, um, we still had a lot to learn, a lot of research to do. In fact, when we sat down, I thought he was just trying to, you know, uh, bend my ear, ask me some questions. And so 
he was saying he was saying you know I, I'm thinking about doing this this and this and I was like cool what I would do in, in addition is I'd also add these things and wait a minute yeah and so then he was like I, I'm gonna let you I'm <laughs> gonna let you get back to yeah. it and yeah. these guys always like like you know don't interrupt and yeah. whatever but like you're sitting down uh-huh and you're talking about this and you're saying he wanted to do these things and you wanted to do those things but like are you talking about like a different whiskeys or well, different drinks about, different what are you talking about he had just so John was in the banking industry we worked long ago <laughs> we worked in a restaurant together mm-hmm. um, in college we went to different colleges but we would visit each other but he had been in the banking industry uh, was managing a hedge fund mm-hmm. at the time and wanted to get out yeah. and he had just been out west and was touring distilleries and I think he kind of had the eureka moment where he's like, "I can do this." Is it is it eureka though, uh, or is it like it's the, very or is it calculated like, with him? I think. Yeah, okay. yeah, because there's like but the other side of it is it's either eureka like this needs to happen and we should do this, or like I don't realize how much I'm setting myself up for. I'm like a you know complete innocent in this, and now I'm going to set my course on something that's way harder, way different than I ever could imagine at this particular time in life. Yeah, it was definitely jumping into the void. I mean, okay, we, yeah. So, I mean, when we first sat down, I thought that he was just asking me for advice. Mm-hmm. And that's literally, I went into the, to the bar to have a beer with him under that idea that I'm just going to be giving him some advice, saying, I think you should make these products in addition to those products. And he was really? Like, yeah, and he, he <laughs> like while we were talking, he said... I don't think you understand. I'm asking if you want to be my business partner. It's like, oh, oh, of course. Let's do this. Because I grew up with him. Yeah, you trust him. Yeah, when you grow up with somebody, you speak the same language. Mm -hmm. You have the same teachers, the same mentors. And you almost can... We have this weird ability to it, and it still exists today, where we can basically have a conversation without saying anything. I think Mm -hmm. kind of the rest of the staff are sometimes like... What telepathic like yeah. can you read minds yeah. he'll be like hey did you and I'll be like yeah I got it he's like okay I'm like, and, and he's like yep mm-hmm. I'm like, cool. <laughs> and that's, that'll be an entire like right. it would otherwise be an hour long meeting you know? yeah. it's like yep. it's done that's like, hard yeah. to find that communication yeah. yeah it's pretty cool so anyways um, yeah we decided that night that we were going to do it and I didn't know that he was actually hedging his bets completely that if I didn't do this yeah. he, he wasn't going to do it oh and he told me that after the meeting. He's like, yeah, if you were out, I was not going to do the distillery thing. So, and at that time, was this was this before or after laws started getting passed that allowed more of this to happen in Minnesota? Was this like right around that? This was after. So, yeah. 2012 is when the initial like laws changed, basically lowering the yearly uh, licensing costs to... For something yeah. that was manageable. How many distilleries at that time, were there, or micro distilleries were there before that? Roughly 12. I oh, think. okay. So there were a few. Yeah. 12, 13. Yeah. And, um, and then, but what hadn't happened yet, and so this is April of 2014, it wasn't until later that year in September that the laws changed again, saying that you could have a cocktail room. Of right. course, we were That's watching. That's the one I'm thinking mm-hmm. of. Right. Yeah. And so we were watching that, and we were pretty positive that legislation was going to go through, but we were sure. very careful not to sign a lease before then. Right, because that can kind of make or break things, right? Revenue, yeah. yeah. And we were definitely banking on that happening because that's my background is, is making cocktails. Sure. And so, um, and then also making the ingredients to make those cocktails, namely the booze. Right. It just, it just made sense. Right. Um, and you're talking, I mean, so we're not talking... Uh, 
you know, Jack Coke. We're talking like fancy cocktails that craft cocktails. Craft craft cocktails. cocktails. Yeah, I mean, uh, we want we want anybody at any skill level to be, of course, mixing with our stuff. Yeah, so, right. You know, but yeah, I mean, I was yeah, definitely, I was not. There was a point where I was making Jack and Cokes, I and mean, that's how you get your start. Yeah, of course. The of high course. volume bars. How fast can you turn drinks out in college? Um, it was, you know, in Minnesota for me. I moved back here in 2004, and um, but it was really around 2008 that you really saw the industry change. So I started working at a restaurant at that time called the Strip Club Meat and Fish, yep. owned by uh, Aaron Johnson, Tim Niver, and J.D. Frotsky. And Tim and Aaron had previously owned the original iteration of Town Talk Diner. If you guys remember mm-hmm. that, that was like this yep. kind of I co- remember it well. cocktail-centric. Yeah. Um, I, I actually don't really remember it that well, but I had a lot of fun there. I know that much. Um, <laughs> Sounds like Jim's, Jim. Jim's got yeah. like a thousand of those places. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how we recognize each other. Right. I yeah, so. I recognize you from yeah. sitting at the bar at the strip club. It, exactly. Yep. And so when we opened the strip club in uh, 2008, um, kind of went in with this intention to make everything from scratch, whether it was bitters, tonic, yeah. fermented ginger beers, grenades, everything behind the bar except for the booze was being made from scratch yeah. and I think we did it really well um, you know kind of had this off the beaten path location in East St. Paul and we you know we definitely filled the place up and created a really cool community there um, but that was like the time to you know really create everything from scratch and also at that time I think it's really important to note that everything was new you know like right now talking 10 years later it's probably been done you know, but we were experimenting and failing all the time, trying to like create sure. new things. Might I suggest that that it seems new, but you're you're finding recipe books from way back when, mm-hmm. when it was just always done that way, right? Like, right. but then putting your own spin on it, and, yeah, um, yeah, ingredients that maybe weren't easy to source, and, and actually, like even in like 2006, 2007, right before then. There were certain spirits and liqueurs you just couldn't even get in Minnesota. You could probably right. get them in New York. You could probably get them in L.A., but you couldn't get them here. Because um, of demand, or they're just... They had just fallen so far out of favor, mm-hmm. and you had this kind of renaissance, a cocktail renaissance, really exploded around that time, and then there was a demand for it. And also, I think the onset of, like, um, or the, the, the maturity of the Internet and people sharing ideas, mm-hmm. that right. was huge. So I, you know what I and I could be wrong. You probably have a better history of of how all of this works. But I feel like it's like we're only now sort of coming out of the dark ages caused by prohibition. Yeah. Like, like prior to that, th- this was these sorts of things were common knowledge in a certain way. There were a lot a lot more people with the understanding of how it's done. You are one hundred percent right. I mean, we we distribute in twenty five states in the laws. Are, are still very archaic from state to state. Right. Um, I mean, even in Minnesota, we just got Sunday liquor sales. I know. What, a couple of years ago? Yeah, now, like right? the world's, like, we're going like to, everything's going to go to shit. If we go to a liquor store. Way. Well, the fact that there's still liquor stores that are separate from, right. you know, a grocery store. You know, oh, you, yeah, you, other places. You know, and then now right. it's open on Sunday. I mean, it's only a couple of years ago we had, what, the, the 70-30 laws where you had to sell 70% 
of your your sales had to be food and then 30% booze. And if you went over that, you got fined. And that changes 60-40. And, right. And you couldn't serve <laughs> Bloody Marys before, you know, 10 a.m. on a Sunday. And just like, right. you know, that was then. Right. That was not that long ago. I, I bartended at Filio in the early 2000s. Yes. So yeah. people yeah. come in, I want a Bloody Mary. It's like, uh, you got to wait. Yeah. got to wait a couple hours. <laughs> okay. So you guys are starting to formulate this. You've got that kind of going. Um, you know, we were talking earlier. I mean, like, Northeast and the transformation over here and transformation into this building. I've been in Northeast since, like, I mean, I'm old, so the early 90s, you know? And, I mean, this place was desolate. I mean, there was nothing yeah, what was, here. Yeah, what was in this building? This was back light manufacturers, like plastics manufacturing. Mm-hmm. I mean, back in the day, this, this building's got really cool history. Yeah. Um, if you want to get in that, I can. I do, yeah. Yeah, I would love a little bit. Well, this building was built in 1902. Um, it's called the Thorpe Building now because it was the Thorpe Door Company. Then they made these giant steel fireproof doors. Um, I, I guess it was heavily competitive industry in Minnesota at that time because they went out of business. There were two others that survived. And um, right before World War II, General Mills was actually in this space. And their, their mechanical division was building giant scales because they were still milling of course there's a you know right over there you see the big tall white mill mm-hmm. yep. um, so they're making the scales here and at the onset of World War II or America's involvement in World War II General Mills was basically called the duty and so what they were doing on the floor that we are sitting on right now and that back room that mm-hmm. listeners you can't see it believe us it's back there it's back there it's big um, they were building what was called the Northern Bombsite and the Norton bombsite was the green screen, the contraption that gave the B-52s, I say, quote, accuracy dropping bombs because it actually was not that accurate unless it was at a pretty low elevation, at which point the planes were in danger of getting shot down. But it, right. it had um, a velocimeter and an altimeter in it, so it told them how fast and how high they were going. In the room adjacent to us is where they invented what was called at that time the Ryan flight recorder which today is known as the black box so mm-hmm. black box was invented in this building Who um, there do you was, have a plaque are you like a tour guy yeah you should have little plaques <laughs> I've gotten to see some really cool stuff here wow. so like right above like right outside our window you can see uh, a place called bodies by Burgoon um, upstairs is their like cycling area before it was a cycling area that was what um, it was preserved pretty well up until a few years ago was where they uh, kept the plans. So it was this giant steel door. I got to see it before they ripped it all out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's a guy in there on a bunk with a gun. All the plans are in there. And got his meals brought to him. Or if he had to leave, he had to knock. You know, if he had to go to the bathroom, he had to knock. God, that's... If it was the wrong knock, <laughs> he guards, was supposed to the shoot. guards <laughs> on either side of the door were ordered to shoot the other one. Yeah. So, wow. That's where they kept all these Sorry, plans. Sorry, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, buddy. You messed up the knock. Um, but Don't yeah. put me in charge of the no. knock. <laughs> so nope. I got to see the plans room before they uh, ripped that out. Um, yeah, there's some cool stuff in this building. Wow. So yeah. who knew? And then um, World War II ended, and uh, it became uh, they did this giant dry cleaning or whatever. But it was really kind of around the '80s that it became more of an artist's. Um, yeah, like a community. Yeah, mm-hmm. this entire northeast. That's because uh, artists will occupy any space that costs them next to nothing. Is what we've right. Right. Kind of right. Well, you, you know, that's all you can afford, and you really can't afford that even. So, <laughs> you know, and so reportedly, um, Art of World, which is a big uh-huh. you know, yeah. Yeah. event in the springtime, uh, started in this building because I think there were like a hundred artist studios at that time. There's probably still about sixty in here, 
Um, now we've got like, you know, there's a, a rock climbing area in here. There's um, multiple like workout areas. There's a coffee shop. There's of course Mercury Mosaics. There's a ton of stuff in here. Right. Yeah. Cool. So when I, when I walk in here and look at this, like you're starting a distillery. Uh, you've got the hedge fund manager business partner who uh, presumably can either pull together the financing or is financing it in some way, right? That, that's the question, right? Well, what I, yeah, what I wonder, because this is beautifully beautifully done. Like, it's... it's uh, There's been a lot of work done in this building. Oh, yeah. For, y- yes. You've done a lot of work. And it's not like... What I like about what the way you've done it is it's not way over the top. You know, it's not so incredibly fancy that, but it's very nicely done. And I know being in the building trades that this, this costs a lot of money. Yeah, and, and that's a lot of sort of right off the bat overhead, right? I mean, and is that something that did the city help you with this at all, or is this straight up you guys had to get this done? They helped us with uh, some loans, um, so, and then basically yeah. it was like us going to friends families john being a banker was able to get some great rates on some loans sure um, yeah. i mean it was like we'd go into these meetings with bankers and i was like dude you can't say that to them he's like i got this don't worry <laughs> uh, and you know a lot of times those didn't work out we ended up getting some great um uh, some great loans at that time um in kind of speaking on the actual like space itself like you can see it's, there's still a lot of raw like oh yeah you, well you see the history that's right. what's so cool about it and we want to be really careful to not change too much of that yeah um, you know so like, no but you have to clean it up right. i mean i mean those those wooden beams that's all been cob blasted or something yeah, right yeah, have it blasted yeah and and the so of the steel beams and but you've done a nice job to not to not destroy the the character but also clean it up enough that it can be used as a modern space right Right. um i I love like if you get up on a a ladder you go up on these beams you'll see like um it's really cool actually behind the bar you'll see uh, a lot of like handwritten mathematics up there right on the beams when they were building this initially like that's you know 117 years old that somebody wrote down like like, with chalk right yeah Yeah. and so i'm like let's leave that there you know it's like written in pencil like yeah don't wipe that off that's cool um anything it was like kind of spray painted i think it says like it looks like seven yard stick up there and we actually had a drink on our menu called the seven yard stick named after just etching that was up on the ceiling um so we really wanted to kind of really honor the integrity of the building in a lot of ways so well it's a great it's a great space but but i look at something like this and you know i don't obviously someone put together a business plan and it seems to have worked thus far but uh like you got to sell a lot of liquor that's a lot of speculation you know to to before you even yeah before you even have your first piece of product or you know glass of product out the door like that's a lot of investment and a lot of risk and a lot of leap of faith, sort of. Oh, it's huge. I yeah. mean, and you think it's going to go one way, and it, it, it goes a totally opposite direction. Sure. Um, so, I mean, when we we opened to the public in July of 2015, it was like July 8th, but we started making alcohol in right around Labor Day of that year. So, or I'm sorry, uh, Memorial Day. So it was, it was May, late May. And... We, A, we have this cocktail room. We don't know how busy it's going to be. At that time, it was a dirt parking lot. Um, people yeah. don't know we're here. You know, yeah. we're, we're just kind of hoping that the press 
is going to drive enough track traffic here. You know, a couple of people write a couple of articles like, maybe they'll come out, maybe they won't. Right. And the truth is, is the first weekend it was bonkers. Of course. And week two, it was dead. Yeah. I mean, I'm going around and like I'm apologizing to everybody. I'm like, I'm sorry you believed in us. And, yeah. Right. Um, it was really like September of that year, right after Labor Day, it just blew up. And so you know, you talk about a lot of basically. Every dollar that was made in the cocktail room went to putting whiskey in barrels and went to like the expansion and bringing on more staff and growing the brand. The other side of that is you make vodka, gin, and at that time, Maccabee. Those were our first three products that we made in July. Yeah. And I'm going to liquor stores and like, well, I almost should say this, but I will. But I was like, hey, people were shutting doors. I was being like, we're, we don't, craft doesn't work. Nobody keeps yeah. on craft. Right, <laughs> right. Like, but I made it. You know? Don't you right. care? The other side of it was we were calling and I'm like, we're, we're having a hard time getting people to care. And of course. Yeah, so I'm calling liquor stores. I'm like, yeah, do you guys carry that Tattersall gin? And like, um, no. I'd be like, and I'd have my friends call. Oh, everyone does. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah everyone's right. got to. Right. So, um, and, and that was really how to build um, at least a little bit of a following. Yep. A little and bit of, of a course, buzz. Yeah. yeah. And having also bartended and then having you know, dear friends supporting the brand too certainly helped. And, yeah. But really the, the the main marketing epicenter has always been the cocktail room and, you know, getting drinks in front of people and then, you know, showing them that these are some cool things you can do with Alcabi. Right. So. Yeah, and you make good product. And then, so w- when did you start entering into some of the distributors locally here? How, did, oh, how long did that take? A year. I think it was August of... And that's not that long, really. No, no. Um, we went first to, <laughs> I think it was it was South Dakota. And I was like, oh, man, we're just going to blow up. We're going to our first state. And, you know, it was kind of like, uh-uh, nothing happens. You know, go to South Dakota, no sure. one cares. Um, and then North Dakota. We're like, at that point, I realized, I'm like, wow, we really have to build this brand. And I need to learn how to sell, which um, I have no sales experience whatsoever. And Natural sales experience. Yeah, I was going to say, are you comfortable selling? Oh, I love it now. Now I mean, it's your product, too, yeah. so it's... Yeah. At the time, I had no idea. We, I mean, we were, we were learning as we went. So it was like we did, you know, the Dakotas and Wisconsin, and you know, it was much easier to sell in Hudson. We got the, you know, the proximity to the Twin Cities, but then you bring it down to Milwaukee, and again, it was like, never heard of you. Right. Um, I got a million questions about how that, like the... And I'm not even sure you can answer them, but just about, like, the psychology behind trying, you know, if, like you're talking a vodka or a gin, right? right. And, and it's, like, it's like what happened uh, throughout our lifetimes at bars. When we were younger, you walked in and there was Bud, Coors, mm-hmm. Miller, mm-hmm. Miller Lite, you know, whatever. Like, that was it. You yep. could get Michelob in a bottle in those PBR, cool yeah. bottles. And then all of a sudden there was like Sam Adams, you know, and then everyone's like, holy shit, look, they got a new one. And then, and then there was uh, Anchor Steam or, yeah. you know, just these, these. I mean, late 90s, like, right. Line and Kugels was craft. Yeah. Right? yeah. And <laughs> Guinness, Guinness eventually. Then Guinness, you know. You know, that was like, whoa. And then, and then you get to the point where all of a sudden you've got like the whole thing is craft. And I feel like, like you can't all of even the people, find a Miller Lite. Yeah. I mean, all of the people areas. who bought. You know, uh, whatever sapphire gin forever, and that's all they ever drank. And then they're like, "Shit, now I got to 
now I got a selection of 50, but I feel like people these days, they actually do want to try these other brands. Yeah, there, I mean, there's, there's a, a, I love the psychology behind it. So you find people with vodka, they have the brand. That's their brand. Um, yeah. It's hard to get them to dip their toes into something new, um, yeah. into craft especially. With gin, you do have a little bit more of the experimental buyer. Sure. Um, and I think there is an age demographic that has to be considered. So um, somebody who's a little bit older and they're like, Kettle One is my brand and I drink it this way and I have the same drink whether I go out or I stay at home, you're not going to change it. Babe. No. Um, the younger demographic is way more experimental. And, you know, I, I guess I'd, I'd like to think of myself as part of that younger demographic. I'm definitely on the older side of it, but we're more experimental and I think we're around the same age and right. most of my friends are very willing to yeah, you go like to, here try this one try that one right. hey I got this one you know it's, it's the same thing with food right you know you go out and you're like oh, I'll try it and if I don't like it whatever I'll right. chalk it up to experiences yeah. you know, so that's a that's really fun but I think with um, whiskey yeah people are willing to try different things they everybody want. will yeah. try all whiskeys they'll yes. try all whiskeys and they want to collect them too right? yeah yes they do um, yeah and so, and then now we see, you know, there's just like, you know, as we've seen mezcal really blowing up and just spirits in general. I mean, spirits is growing as opposed to beer and wine. Wine's kind of flatline. Beer's actually going down. Sure. Um, yeah. it, it's. We're overhopped. We're overhopped. And it, it's, <laughs> it's the big brands. The, the, the Anheuser-Busch's, yeah. the Miller Coors, those are the ones that are suffering the most. They needed to get knocked off their pedestals anyway. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's also. You know, interesting to see the trends in beer too. It's it went, you know, just mass-produced domestics. Then it changed to imports. You know, so yep. all of yep. a we're drinking Heineken, we're drinking Guinness, yep. and then it was like Belgians and such right. around like 2005, 2006. Yep. Then it just craft exploded. Now we're starting to return a little bit to more of the imports again. So, sure. I mean, and and sort of craftier imports, right? Too. Yeah, so and so it's like how do you stand out how do you do something different how do you um, and that's always like the, the million dollar question for us you know how are we going to stand out and what are we going to do different and yeah I mean I think it's funny because we're, we transitioned from you know we kind of had a similar moment to you in 2014 or whatever where we started yeah. doing something different uh, and it's it's digital technology you know like not my not what I, we grew up not, not what, what we learned we to, do. to do yeah no but we uh, we joke about it a little bit that we we build craft and artisanal apps yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> right and but I, I love the fact that uh, like you you open a craft distillery and you get the door shut in your face a bunch and you've got to go out and keep mm-hmm. telling people like I know you don't get it yet I know you don't see the difference but you will you know see you the don't difference. care but you will care yeah. do you remember the first sort of your sale first, yeah. like the first sort of like distributor that kind of yeah. <laughs> said hey you know what Dan this is pretty good uh, well our Minnesota distributor I, I was lucky enough to have been in the business here long enough to have some relationships and so um, I got them some samples before you know months before we were going to distribute and said yep. and I handed them a little jar and I said right like oh you're not are you doing this I'm like uh huh yeah so um, <laughs> that was that was um that was a little less difficult, you know. And then, of course, there's all the contracts and paperwork, which I'm like, John, John, yeah, uh, right. <laughs> Can you look this over? Um, yeah. I think the real like with bars and restaurants, what I really remember was Akavit. 
that was like the one that people are just like dude this is really cool um, right so there were definitely a few like friends restaurants that we were not even going to distribute until July 8th I remember it was July 3rd uh, second or third right before the holiday and they're like we want your product for the weekend I was like you know I had to call the distributor I'm like they want product now and that's a good problem to have can we load it up and get it to them yeah right. so there were about three restaurants in town that wanted it right away they wanted to be the first ones to have it um, but I think you know I think what I learned early on especially with Akavi you know I do these tastings I do these classes off site or wherever I remember I was doing one in an apartment building downtown there's like 60 people in the crowd and um, I'm teaching about vodka gin cocktails what have you and I had them all taste Akavi and I was like so who likes this and like two people put their hands up out of 60 I'm like let me rephrase that I'm like who doesn't like this and everybody's hands go up I'm like oh shit Uh, so then uh, then what I did is I I realized I'm like I have to trick them so I I, you know made some cocktails with some other stuff and then I like later on made a cocktail with Akvi and I went back around the room and I said okay so this last drink who who likes this and everybody's hand went up I'm like who doesn't like it and like two hands went up I'm like okay you guys are now drinking Akvi like so tasting on its own stop crying sure (laughs) I think you know American American palates traditionally we don't love things that taste like licorice right yeah. And oh, sure. sometimes it's if it's... One. I do. I do, right? but it's so a tougher one. Yeah. Yeah. And Akavit is, you know, fennel, so it has that licorice. Uh-huh. And it also has... Ours is actually four times as much caraway as fennel, so it has this, like, pumpernickel Ooh, rye like flavor it. to it. Yeah, I yeah, love that. Um, but it was something so new to this crowd. Yeah. And, you know, trying to get Akavit to become a thing, that's kind of a tough nut to crack. Minnesota did happen. I was going to say, I remember Akavit being a thing that, like... Uh, God, in my early twenties, it was something that was being pushed a bit. Yeah, you know, and it was ju- not just the restaurant that or institute or whatever it was that, but but I think out of that kind of came this push where they were, for a brief period it was in a lot of places. Yeah, I mean, I think Akavit the restaurant did definitely help because they were doing yeah. a lot of like those infusions and homemade things in the, yeah. the restaurant, and people were like. What does Akavit even mean? And did you have to take a course on how to say everything correctly, or do you know that from your years of bartending? Because all the Italian stuff, all the Scandinavian stuff, you say it all perfectly. Um, I think it's just years of being corrected by my peers, actually. I mean, yeah. So here's a question. Um, I'm more of a beer wine drinker. I will have, you know, cocktails. But what would you say to somebody who's coming in and they're kind of fresh off of... uh, not fresh. They're not as versed in what they should or what what they're getting. So to not be intimidated by the. So menu. how would Sarah order a drink here? I think we would start with a, a couple questions. A how you know how boozy do you want to be? Do you mm-hmm. want to be like really you know boozy forward? If you're not really into cocktail and cocktailing, you probably don't. Then we might ask you know how sweet do you like it? Do you like a little bit of acidity? Like you know do you like lime juice things that um kind of get some like flavor preferences from you and then take it from there but meanwhile trying to 
push you very subtly. So people shouldn't be intimidated asking the bartender. Never. Okay. Honestly. Um, I'm just. Look it's so, a good point. I mean, well, I I wouldn't be. I I'm can, just saying. Yeah, I could so see some people coming in here I've and being come in intimidated. Here, yeah. You know, I have. You know, I'll sit down and I have no idea. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I've never tasted it. So your bar, your staff here has been fantastic. You know, they do exactly what uh-huh. you're what you're saying. I've sat down here and like. You know, they've explained this and that to me, and I'm like, okay, let's try this. And then I'm just, I mean, I'm just blown away. Yeah. Wow. You know what yeah. I think this we need to do? What's they're over there getting ready yeah. for the for the afternoon. Oh, yeah. I think it's it's time for a little break anyway. Okay. Let's get <laughs> let's get let's them to mix a, a drink, drink. <laughs> and okay. we'll come back for the All second right. half. Okay, sounds good. All right, thanks. Today's show is brought to you by the Andalin app, a first-of-its-kind digital legacy preservation app that allows you to digitally attach photos, videos, and audio recordings to the places and objects you love. Imagine hearing your grandmother's voice telling the stories of your family heirlooms. Preserve your memories, prepare for the future, and share with those you love. Andalin, available in the App Store and Google Play. Visit andalin.app for more information. Need some help with a construction project? Looking for thoughtful design and honest answers about what is possible and what is not? Kinetic Design Build is a full-service boutique remodeler servicing residential and commercial clients in the Twin Cities. Design and build with purpose. Visit kineticdesignbuild.com to request a consultation. Packing for a trip? Let Pack Simply give you a little help by delivering travel-safe products directly to your door in an airport security-safe pouch. Unbelievably easy and surprisingly simple. Make your life easier. Visit PackSimply.com. Interested in art? James Holmberg is both an artist and an art consultant. His strong connections in the Minnesota art world give him a unique perspective on the talented pool of artists from our region. Let James guide you to an original work that will come alive in your home. Visit JamesHolmberg.com to find out more. All right. Do you want to go on a wilderness adventure with me, Sam? Or maybe you know a group of kids who could benefit from an extended break from their electronics. Or maybe you just need a break from those kids. Visit earthedfound.org for more information about how to get started. For information about becoming a sponsor of Legacy Matters, please visit LegacyMattersPodcast.com. Uh, we are back. Here we are in Tattersall. Tattersall. Yep. Distillery. We were um, on the break, as we always do. We should be recording, but we were talking about how to demystify, is the word I was thinking of, demystify the cocktail experience. And Dan was telling us about your app. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the app really... So, we have a free mobile app um, available on all... Everything but Microsoft. Does anybody use, like, Microsoft No, phones? no one uses that, that anyway. No, so that, that seems really, yeah. like, that seems like when I was, you know, in yeah. high school or yeah. something <laughs> weird like that. I don't even know. I don't know what happened to them. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's not available on uh, flip phones or oh, okay. uh, Blackberries. But, sure. Right. Um, right. For all <laughs> Androids and all uh, Apple devices. Um, and, and basically, it's 500 recipes. You can approach it. It is a rabbit hole. You can approach it from a lot of different ways. I was just showing you guys, like, if I had a bottle of Akavit, I can click on Akavit. I said brunch for an occasion. It pulled up about 
40 different recipes. Everything is clickable. You can filter it by difficulty of the cocktail. Um, and everything, when I say clickable, it's like it might say bitters. If you don't know what bitters are, it'll define it for you. If you don't know uh, how to shake a drink, you can click on it. It'll take you to a video and show you how to shake a drink. There's, I think, 10 different techniques and probably, um, you know, 40 or 50 different terms that it defines for you and mm-hmm. a ton of recipes, like kind of supporting recipes, different yeah. syrups and things it, like that. It really is impressive. I mean, y- y- you know, I mean, that's something I would like to know. Like, yeah, how do sure. you make these yeah. drinks? How yeah. do you make these craft cocktails? And, and the fact that you have an app that you can just simply download and bam, right there it is. Yeah. I think it came from, I mean, year one, we had, we had a drink on the menu called the Residency and people kept asking us for the recipe and saying, oh, I'm sure you won't share it with us. And we're like, yeah, sure we will. Of course, why I not? I want you to make it at home. Of course, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And um, I remember somebody hit me up and asked me then, hey, I want to do this drink at my wedding. How do I batch this and make it quick? I'm like, cool, here's here's a recipe on how to do that. Yeah. And it was kind of that moment where we're like, I think we need to make it m- even more accessible than it is, um, which is a huge part of you know what we do here we want to make things accessible before the break we're talking about somebody comes in who's not super well versed in cocktails um ask mm-hmm. like then and, and the, the, the staff here loves to answer those questions and so if somebody's like oh amaro is that kind of like amaretto like no it's actually yeah know, that's what i'm dying to try right it's an hmm. italian inspired uh bittersweet uh digestif and by the way, here's a taste of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And right. so people can experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, that's huge for us, is just making everything that we do accessible to anyone at any skill level. So I suspect this was baked in very early in the formation of this company. The app? Or the, the accessibility? Uh, the accessibility, like the, your kind of ethos of how you're going to approach the customer. And the yeah, I, yeah, I think it was... It was Pretty much right away. I mean, at first I think we we're like, let's just get open. Mm-hmm, of course. <laughs> let's just get up and run, right? <laughs> and then it was like, wait, um, people are confused because they don't know what Akavit is, whatever. So mm-hmm. well, um, I think you're a little ahead of your time there with with producing an app yeah. uh, to specifically guide people mm-hmm. on all this stuff. But mm-hmm. we talk about this all the time, and you know, I think when when like the airlines came out with their first apps. We were all thinking like, yeah, I don't need that. I've got my ticket in my pocket. Yeah, I've my got, paper ticket. You know, right. everything's ready. Out. And a few years later, it's like, oh well, you know what? I may not, like, oh, I, I may not look at the Tattersall app often, right? At all. Yeah. But if I'm, if I'm buying your liquor for some reason for a party or something, and I'm thinking, well, crap, I should make three different cocktails. How would I go about doing that? Oh. Here's the way, yeah. right? And and we, you know, we want people to submit recipes on there, of course. And there's a little banner when you open it up that says "Submit a Recipe." Um, in addition, I know that most people are not even going to like follow our recipes. They're going to put their own spin on it, which mm-hmm. we love that. Sure. Um, so bartender might look at it and be like, "I'm not going to just cut and paste somebody else's recipe. I want to put my own signature on there." And that's amazing. So, do you find people submitting sort of things to you right now? Yeah, we get we get submissions. Um, we'd always like more I mean right. the truth is is it, it gets us like kind of creatively juiced too so mm-hmm. um, like when somebody sends something in I'm like wow I've never thought about mixing it that way Yeah, we love sure. like kind of a free exchange of ideas uh-huh. um, you know I don't believe that anybody here or anyone anywhere knows everything about you know right. cocktails flavor that's kind of why it's so fun so how, how many products do you have right now 
because when mm. we did the tour, roughly, I mean, we roughly. rolled around the corner, <laughs> and and you know, honestly, I mean, I I, I didn't know until no, we took this tour, and I had no idea. I thought maybe, I, I mean, honestly, I thought maybe like seven. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the product surprise are, on me. Products available in Minnesota right now is about twenty five. Um, some there might be you could say more. Uh, we've had some limited release products that you know might still be out there. Um, probably not, but there's been some limited release like whiskeys that we've done in collaboration with breweries and things like that. Um, so 25 right now, but then there's a ton of stuff aging in the back and things that just still haven't seen the light of day. Right. So I'd say all in roughly 30. Sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and the, uh, like the liqueurs, you know, I, you kind of showed us your wall, I'll say, of product over there. And uh, I made a crack, not a crack, but, you know, like I, I'm a relative novice. If, if you're looking for things to mix drinks with, you've got for, traditionally here in Minnesota, you have Phillips. Yeah. Like, that's it. And, and there's a whole section of here's all of the, uh, liqueurs that you could use to mix and then you maybe you get Chambord or something fancy that you know Frangelico or whatever right. uh, that you spend a little extra money on but otherwise it's always that that same thing and and what you said was that yours are made with real ingredients not flavoring right we don't use any fake flavorings or colorings in anything and so like our blueberry cranberry sour cherry liqueurs are made with you know fruit from blueberries cranberries right. and sour cherries right exactly yeah and um, that's from local yeah, Folks. those are well. The uh, blueberries and the sour cherries are are coming from Traverse City, Michigan. It's just a, a wonderful growing area. We're friends with a farmer out there. His friend grows the the cranberries uh, down in Warren's, Wisconsin. The grains all come to us locally. So the corn, the wheat, the rye. Um, that the corn comes from Rochester, from our head distiller's family farm. So it's an organic corn. So our vodka is organic. Um, the, is anything else organic? We don't have organic certification, but everything else is basically, yeah. It, yeah, I mean, it sounds like yeah. you really care about yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, um, there's certain botanicals that come from overseas that we get that they you couldn't don't have. certify. Uh, they don't have organic certification on those, but um, it, organic certification comes down to a percentage, mm-hmm. so we probably could if yeah. we wanted to. Um, with, uh, yeah, with, so I mean, everything's made from real grain, real botanical, real fruit, um, through and through. Um, there's no smoke and mirrors on, on the way to make anything. Um, I mean, that's kind of the whole, you know, when you come to the distillery, you see, or the cocktail room, you see through the glass wall that yeah. the distillery's right over there. That's kind of our whole uh, ethos of transparency. Transparency. And yeah. so you were also, at, during our tour, you know, you kind of were showing us uh, sort of the recycling, the sustainability, and, you know, where some of the, and I, don't, I guess... I want to say waste, but really it's not waste because it gets recycled into other areas. Right. We're uh, huge proponents of a, uh, a closed loop. So the grains come to us from, um, you know, if, if it's the rye, it comes from Cambridge, Minnesota, and then it ends up going back to Cambridge to a, currently a pig farm. So the spent grains go to a pig farm up there. Um, we're working with a company um, in 2020. Early on, we'll be uh, actually reusing the grains uh, to create flour for human consumption. So um, that's a really cool project. Um, the a lot of the we don't send like the sour cherries when we're done with those. We don't send those to the pig farm because I don't know if it's ethical to give 
pigs, cherries that have a lot of booze in them. Um, so we compost those. We work with a city. Pigs animal. would probably be fine. They probably would that. like it, but we just <laughs> that they would. Yeah, we just you know. don't know. Right. But we work with the city uh, very closely on a, a really huge composting initiative. So um, just about everything here is uh, either becomes pig food currently, or is recyclable, or is compostable. So, um, and you know, it's kind of a whole. You know, you'll, you'll read about trash tiki right now where people are reusing everything behind the bar. And, you know, same thing, like when we're peeling an orange, um, you completely peel it for your old fashioned. Right. Then what we do is we take those orange peels and we dehydrate them. They become garnishes later on. Sure. So, okay. So it's kind of like reuse everything as much as possible in a, you know, obviously a, a cool way, not in some like, you know, dirty, nasty way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just not possible, but. But we're consuming ourselves into oblivion, mm-hmm. I think, is Absolutely. what you're sort of getting at. Yeah. So are you the one doing all of the sourcing for... I'm um, sure you have some help. I do the botanicals and... Um, namely, yeah, honestly, just like probably about 80, 90 botanicals. John uh, is uh, more... Works with our farmers very closely, as does Bentley, of course, our head distiller. And then um, John also works with the uh, the farmers in Traverse City and uh, Wisconsin too. So kind of have split duties. Yeah. Um, a lot of that actually is yeah kind of in flux where the distillers are just taking it over. Cause sure. There was a point where we wanted to do everything and you know. Yeah, levels. I mean, I I imagine as a founder of a company and now that you're growing and hiring more people, it's do you find it hard to give up some of those things that you were doing before? Honestly, or you're just tired. You're ready? I I love delegating. I mean sure. my, my theory is always like um, delegate yourself until you're obsolete because right. the truth is you're always gonna find more stuff to do and you're always gonna you know be able to improve other things. So um, and right now, my, my main focus is just running a, a sales team. We've got mm-hmm. nine other people besides me on the sales team. And we're in 25 states, and so it's like, yeah. you know, traveling a lot, opening up new markets, um, you know, trying to uh, trying to sell up, you know, something like Akavit in, in Atlanta, Georgia is not the easiest thing in the world to do. Right. But right. we've kind of made it a thing there, which is pretty hmm. fun. So that uh, I did read an article just happened across an article about uh, this push to change the limits here yeah. in Minnesota. Yeah. And are you guys uh, active in that, correct? Very. Um, I, mean, I mean, John's more active in that than I am, but um, we're all, I mean, Tattersall's part of the uh, Minnesota Distillers Guild, uh, along with, you know, about 20 other distilleries in Minnesota. We all work, you know, working to change legislation. Uh, Minnesota is behind the rest of the country for the most part. There's about 25 states where the, the proof gallon and a proof gallon is a, a gallon of booze at 100 proof mm-hmm. um, and so they can make 100,000 proof gallons and still have a cocktail room for example Right. in Minnesota if we hit 40,000 proof gallons we'll have to shut down our cocktail room and so we'd like to raise that up a little bit yeah and I when I look at that stuff I mean I wonder like when you guys start this do you think you know, 110 years down the road, it's going to be third, fourth generation, family owned, or do you think you know, we're going to sell this someday? I just wonder when mm-hmm. these things happen, yeah. because mm-hmm. there's there's so many great craft breweries, craft distilleries, and I and I look at it like restaurants or something. If we, if we as a community want to 
want to ensure they their survival over time we have to realize that you can't you can't always be growing which is the only way a business really works is right. if you're constantly growing and sometimes when you want to be a micro distillery or whatever like what's what's the end result does everybody grow into a massive distillery or do do we somehow protect help protect you by allowing things like yes your cocktail room can stay open we'll change that legislation so that it works for you i mean for me a hundred thousand proof gallons that's a lot and it's a ways off of course it is yeah so i mean and i would be really happy if we were doing that right now we're at about thirty thousand so yeah, we're, we're yeah that's you showed us to, like that's what you've got in storage right now right right we're starting to, um yeah it's, it's a lot less than that in storage but um what when you start creeping on that 40 is where i start getting a little scared because we don't ever want to shut this down we also don't want to stop producing it mm-hmm. right no and so can you get around that by producing in other states and stuff sure. yeah and that sort of <laughs> sucks right because then you yeah well, i mean that's that's the well, whole point Scotty's is you're trying to build a business here away is, the, yeah. the, the truth is we started here you know with nine thousand square feet nine employees um now we're at forty thousand square feet uh, we've got about 50 employees, um, you know, part-time and full-time, and uh, we pay, you know, a lot in taxes. And so it's like we've done, and, and also, you know, can't forget about how beneficial it is for the farmers to sell direct to us. Yeah. And the community you know? that comes and gathers right. here, the people mm-hmm. you have working with you. And so I do think there is a, a service that we've provided to the state of Minnesota, and it's kind of like, well, let's let's play ball together, yeah, it's not roll out the red carpet for us, but let's... Right, exactly. We're not asking for too much. I mean, Well, so, at least be open to the conversation. Right. And we definitely are. We've had some great conversations. Good. And, uh, I mean, obviously nothing's set in stone. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't have read that article that was just out a week ago, two weeks ago. Yeah, but, I don't know. I just, just happened by it. But there's no doubt that at the, it, we're thinking about it all the time. Um, we have to be. And of so, course. Um, there's... There's still a, a year of legislation ahead of us, so before we really have to, you know, be in the kind of flashing red light zone, or like, oh, what do right. we do? So. Sure. I mean, I know, you know, not to bag on the government, but it's a slow-moving process. All yeah. of that, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So. so, you know, when I'm in that back room back there with all those barrels, I mean, it's a little, but that's exciting for me. Like, I, I can only imagine the anticipation for like. You know when those things are ready for mm. tasting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, is that well, is that exciting for you? It's super exciting. I mean, I'd be a liar though if I told you I didn't crack them open and taste them every now and then. I mean, there's sure. a of spirit quality back control. There. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so we do like to. Uh, we tasted uh, a bourbon last week that was at it's at you know 45 months and um, it was phenomenal. We we're super excited to be sipping on it at you know it's pretty high proof right now. But right, it was like this is really really what we've been working for and so um somebody who's as impatient as i am you have to break it open occasionally taste it just yep. you know, it's so you taste it and then you're like okay so what determines like how long that cork goes back in? um for the bourbon it's going to be a minimum of four years uh-huh. and so that's just that's that's where we want to be um i think there will always be some barrels that are you can pull the side and you let them go even longer um just being our size and as young as we are um, we'll always try to go older than you know the year before if you will but yeah, um, yeah it's it's uh, it's it's really fun to drink a four year old bourbon and think about like how far we've come mm-hmm. I mean, really 
So, right. Yeah. Do you have uh, Do you have children? I don't. No. You don't. Okay. No, just curious. Dog. Like the the just sort of the idea of protecting the planet is it's good for everyone, right? Yeah. My John dog. has uh, two small children, seven and nine, and um, Jack, his youngest, had seven. I think he wants to. He's excited about taking this over. Mm. Oh, God, that's a long way off. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, you know, it's, it's like, dude, you're seven. Let's not talk about booze, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, but it is, you know, well. But he runs in here. First thing he does, he runs the forklift, and he's just like, oh, yeah. Right. Like, you know, I can't wait to be a forklift right. I mean, driver. You this into this place, totally. and it's kind of got a little bit of everything. Right. I yeah. mean, the barrels alone are just so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really. And where do you get those? Barrels are mostly from Minnesota. Um, well, there's a few a few cooperages here. Um, there's one Black Swan up in uh, Park Rapids, Minnesota, and then um, Atlas and Barrel Mill. Those are all in, in Minnesota. And then, um, yeah, it's, it's mostly Minnesota oak. Of course, when they run out of Minnesota oak, occasionally they'll use like some Missouri or Virginia, but for the most part, it's all Minnesota oak back there. Okay. And then you're reusing the barrels. Yeah, we re, uh, we reuse the rye for Akavit and rum, and then the bourbon barrels we age our fernet in there, and then occasionally, you know, if we have extra barrels, um, they'll go to a brewery. So that uh, I think Prize just picked up some barrels the other day. Um, a brewery out of uh, Wisconsin just picked some up the other day too. And so we do a lot of collaborations. And mm-hmm. They have a because they. They char the inside, and, and you're pulling stuff out of the wood, so you can really only like yeah. get one run for your purposes. Yeah, and that's actually mm-hmm. also, one or two. It's or actually a, a legal thing. You don't know you can only use it once. So, oh, uh, oh, okay. American bourbon and, and rye um, the, for the whiskeys. Yeah, mm-hmm. has to be charred new American oak. Um, but then you can put the like the rum. You're still gonna pull some color off from the rum and sure. get some kind of cool like toffee caramely notes in there, and a little bit of that, a little bit of a whiskey flavor too. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. It's pretty wild. What do you do for fun? Outside of here. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy uh, hiking in the winter t- or in the summertime. <laughs> we go up to uh, Canada just about every summer and spend a week up there, you know, oh. hiking through the mountains. I long for the day where I can just like read for longer than an hour sitting. But um, what kind of books do you read? I'm reading right now a book called Exit West, which is fantastic uh, mostly fiction but um, a little bit of everything a lot of sales books that um, no yeah. Yeah. so I, that's uh, not relaxing that's really? no, is that's, it? that's what I read on airplanes it's like because yeah. the truth is is uh, you know I'm, I'm the head of sales for Tatter Salt Distilling and I don't know anything about sales really on a running team mm-hmm. I mean I do now yeah. but like I have no education yeah. Sales. You didn't set out to do this. I didn't know. I mean, your I friend came into the bar and said, yeah. "Hey, you want to yeah. start a distillery?" Yeah. It's it's very interesting though because I mean, we talk to a lot of people here in the community, and and a lot of people don't set out to do what, what they doing. end up doing yeah. successfully. Yeah. You know, I had a lot of cool mistakes. Um, so I helped start a, a soda company back in 2010 called Joya Soda, and that was just you know because I'd made some non-alcoholic cocktails for. Some people sit in my bar and they're like, can we do this in soda form? And we ended up creating Joya Soda out of that. And then um, created like a, a bitters brew cake in 2013 just because it's wintertime and we're bored and we're looking for things to do. And so um, always kind of been looking to find a thing. I mean, I, I did some back in 2013. The idea was to buy 
40 acres of organic farmland down in Hastings, and that kind of that fell apart. But um, it was a great, great experience. And so, I mean, I would get up every morning and we'd go farm all day, and then run home. What before. kind of farming? Like um, produce. It was all produce. produce. I mean, so we did strawberries, apples. We had, um, I mean, basically everything. We had four greenhouses out there, um, and so yeah, it was all really just produce. There yeah. was chickens running around and stuff. It was great, but. Um, the idea was to end up buying that farm and help farmers with like basically getting their product to market, working with farm systems, and um, it was it was it was a really cool experience. But at that point, I would have you know 2013, I would never seen foreseen right. this. But, but all of those now looking back, don't you feel like all those experiences help prepare you for this? Oh, I totally. mean, you, yeah. I mean, you're a problem solver and a innovator you know I mean there was one point here before we even opened it we're like oh we're gonna have a greenhouse out back of the distillery and we're gonna grow all of our own herbs it's like that's impossible there's no way that could have ever happened but it was really cool to think about Um, yeah so I mean I'm definitely passionate about gardening and and growing Uh things I just don't get the time in the summertime to do it it's like I try every year and I just like I don't give enough attention and prune things well enough so you're kind of Hold over here yeah. in this area. I've got this. So. In the you got this little thing you got going. Yeah, on. I'll let the farmers do the farming for now. Right. They're, you know, they're good at it. Uh, when I first met Jim, he was trying to build cabinets, and I was like, you know what? You should let the people who know how to do that, like <laughs> design them. Design them. Yeah. No, no. He built beautiful cabinets. Yeah, we've gone through our own journey. I know. Yeah. It's funny though because sometimes, like, like you get a little. You get a little wild hair or whatever, and you're like, I want to do this, and you get all passionate about it, and yeah. then you realize, like, man, yeah. But the people who know how to do this yeah. should be you the ones what? doing it. It took me two years to build that cabinet. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Well, almost. Yeah, it's not a sustainable business. Uh, it, it, it's not. How did you find the farmers, or did they find you? Um, man, one of them found us. Of course, Bentley's uh, father-in-law. We we found him. Um, that was pretty obvious. Um, occasionally, um, gosh, I'm just trying to think of Dale up in uh, Cambridge. I think he just came in here one day. He's like, hey, I've got rye. And we're like, cool. <laughs> That's how it works, right. yeah. <laughs> oh. and, and now it's like in a really cool place where we're, we plan with him. We're like, so, you know, this we just finished planning. We're like, these are the varietals for next year that we're going to grow for rye. Um, right. We do some other really cool crazy stuff that I think we're one of two distilleries in the world that's ever distilled Kernza which is uh, um, it's a it's a grain that's almost like rye meets wild rice and it was uh, it has a 15 foot taproot that goes you know goes all the way down the ground and so it lasts it actually produces grain for five years and it's like a basically like a, a soil fixer which is great and nobody's really growing it and there is a group of people that are now you know through the U of M uh, growing more of it Right. And um, so we, we like to think, you know, does this is this the grain of the future that's gonna, you know, gonna help? Help. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How'd it turn out? It's sitting in a barrel. Honestly, we should go. We should go crack it open. Um, <laughs> How do you? This is a not Don't again. Jump. This is a stupid question, but no. And I, I'm envisioning. I went to a Napa Valley last summer, a year and a half ago, and. They, it was like almost a syringe or a thing, and it's yeah. Is that what you're doing? So we have a, a it, it's a spirit thief, is what it's called. So it's like a big copper um, tube. We just basically plug it with your thumb on the one end mm-hmm. and pull it out. So like in the wine world, they'd call that a, a wine thief. But the syringe um, method, we've I don't think we've ever employed that here. You know, you pop a syringe in there. Yeah, but I mean, 
I don't know why not. You're not tipping the barrel over. No, I like glass. to get a hammer out and like bang that thing open. I like, like the that, idea yeah. of that though because that that copper spirits thief will last forever too. Right. Like, right. You yeah. know, whereas not that a syringe can't be <laughs> right. clean. I'm sure I'm totally butchering the experience because I, who knows? Well, you, we but do I, that all the time. I may have had a little bit to drink yeah. at the wine tour. <laughs> But, yeah. Literally that time. That's yeah. yeah. There's something just really cool. It, we one of the um, wineries we went to. It was like going back into the room with all your barrels and just like, hey, you want this little sample? And it's, it's just really cool. I'm yeah. super passionate about part wine. Of I the, love wine. Yeah. It's, I'll never do it. But yeah. That's a hard. I like to drink it. Well, that's a hard business. Sure. So you're not going to tap into that. No. 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 I mean, it would be kind of cool. Ah, it, is kind of the, it is kind of the marriage of the have? farming uh, and the fermentation. Are there? Right? Uh, yeah, wineries here in Minneapolis, in Minnesota. There there's are a few of them. Yeah, I know there's a few. I'm yeah. from Wisconsin originally, and there's some in um, Door County. It's like cher- yeah. that cherry wine yeah. or something. Climate climate change <laughs> no, though. Yeah, they're talking. You they're know, talking Canada. I mean, like up in like Nova Scotia now, they're growing grapes, and of course the Finger Lakes up in New York has yeah. become right. a big region. Yeah. Um, yep. So yeah, I mean, never say never. Never say That's never. Right. That's right. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I could see you doing it. Uh, it's got to be, yeah, it's got to be just sort of fun. I think of, you know, a few years ago, uh, at the height of whatever it was, like like conspiracy theory peak oil stuff, you know, thinking about, like, the world's ending, yeah. right? And and alcohol becomes a commodity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, of course, you got to protect it. But, like, you're sitting on a lot of commodity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're sitting on a lot of... A lot yeah. of valuable asset. We got a lot of uh, whiskey in barrels. <laughs> I mean, and I think I was telling you guys during the tour, we make so many different products, and most of them are, are not brown spirits. Um, but 60% of our output is actually just brown spirits, but mm-hmm. you have to sit on it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Mm-hmm. And that's the cool part. I mean, that's the part that I, you know, I love going back there, and you're like, yep, you know, a few more years. A few more yeah. years. A lot more years yeah. on some of but them. But that's I like... Mean, making vinegar and stuff right. at home you're, it's always fun to or you know we've had a few beers we, we brew at my house my, my dad does uh, anyway and you'll make something special that needs to sit for like nine months and it's always like oh, give you a little taste you know yeah. there's just yeah. something fun about yeah, yeah. But having premium. something back there that's like ooh I get to taste it yeah it's really fun to do on tours too it's just like, like you guys want to see something cool and you just bust out the hammer and start banging away and you crack it open and be like <laughs> This dude's crazy. Is that just for so, me? So the other thing that we that you uh, showed us is that you have another space in here too, another small yeah. sort of event room. Yeah, we just opened that up about a month ago. It's um, it's a private event space, and um, we really broke it in during our holiday party on Monday night. Um, that was fun, but yeah, it's um, it's brand spanking new. It's beautiful. That chandelier it's is very mm-hmm. very. Where'd cool. you find it the is. chandelier? Chandelier, same place that we found our cocktail room, uh, right across the tracks at Architectural Antiques. Uh, yep. Oh, of course, yeah. is an I amazing place. In there. You have to. Go is it there. all yeah. just? Um, it's just gonna re- blow your mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, super fun. It's cool. And you go back like a month later, and it's like all new. Well, all new old stuff. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, but right. like the next building that got torn down that they I tore everything that. out. And of. I love that it's yeah put in a yeah. new home. Yeah, and it's not like little trinkets. It's like a giant pieces like giant full-on bars from like you know oh yeah 1950 do they have fireplace mantles in there yeah absolutely that's where our top of our bar came from it's an old fireplace mantle if you look at it do you have a friend over there um we should get someone on the show i know you should it's just Um, such a cool place i would just go in there and talk to him we do certainly like i 
I, I can give you a contact over there. I'm just, sure. you know, curious I'm if there's like, no, you got to talk to this mm, person. Yes, yeah. that's, that's the put you on the spot. You know, antiques like is wild. It is a crazy trade. It yeah. is. It, yeah. you, it's huge, and you get lost in it. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. We definitely there. have to go. Yeah. And yeah. then you're like, how did you get that in here? Like, and then how are you going to get that out of here? Right. And how, who took it question. out of the last space right. in Kentucky right. or I mean, It's like absolutely crazy. It's, it's yeah. a, definitely a very so certain the, type of person. I mean, that's what adds to the, your decor to the in this charm, building. Right. Because, yeah. you know, you've done a great job with all of this. Yeah, we've got know? an amazing architect. I mean, a dear friend of ours, Aaron Wood Camper, he, he did this space and the, uh, the club. The other, club uh, the other room. Yeah, okay. the private room. And um, he's just got an eye. I mean, while he's building it, you're like... What is he going to do? This isn't going to work. I mean, originally the bar was going to be on the other side of where the distillery is right now. Sure. I mean, when I was, when John and I were like kind of drawing off the initial plans, I'm like, it's obviously going to be right here, which would be where our mash cooker now lives. Okay. And Aaron came in and he looked at the space that we're currently sitting in. He's like, why would you not put it in here? You've got three walls of windows that are absolutely beautiful. Right. I'm like, oh yeah. Obviously. You're probably right. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. Right. Well, this is the uh, the moment in the show where we ask you if there's anything that you, like, d- how do people find yes, you? Yes, the website. What? I mean, we'll put it in the notes, but you can certainly share yeah, it. Yeah, the website is tattersalldistillingoneword.com. We are in northeast Minneapolis on 18th and Central. Um, you have to drive behind a building to find us. Yeah. It's the Thorpe Building. Um, but right after, uh, just about a block and a half north of Broadway on Central, um, basically the first building after the railroad tracks, just take a left and drive behind the building and find us. Um, and if they of, had your app, would it would it conveniently tell them where the address is? Yeah, I mean, or you know, Google Maps does that yeah, too. Yeah, Google Maps. <laughs> I'm, just, um, I'm trying to get yeah. your app no, out no, there. Yeah, yeah, the app. The app, <laughs> yeah, the app <laughs> is pretty cool, yeah. and the app is. Uh, you know, on all of your labels too, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Well, it's, it's on all the neck tags. It's on yeah. like everything That's that we smart. put out there, right? And uh, yeah, it's it's and the ta- and the tasting room or ta- what a cocktail, ta- room. cocktail, cocktail room, room, excuse yeah. me, yeah, is open um, when during the week? Uh, Wednesday through Sunday. So uh, Wednesdays at four. Well, Wednesday, Thursday at four o'clock, and Friday for that matter. Um, Saturdays we open at noon, and then uh, Sundays we open at two. Okay. So nice. Come yeah. hang out. It's a beautiful Come spot. Come hang out. Yeah, it's fun. Thank you guys for having me. All right. Yeah, thank thank you very much. Yes, thank you. It was wonderful. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thanks for inviting us in. Okay. Bye. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We love comments and feedback, so go ahead and let us have it. If you'd like to learn more about Andalin and other legacy projects, visit the website at andalin.app or kineticlegacy.us. Take care.